I interest you in a stamp? Yeah, give me a stamp. Oh. No, give me a purple one. Oh, I'm sorry we haven't any purple ones. I could uh, paint one for you. I don't want a painted one. person hasn't got any rights in this country anymore. The government even tells you what color stamps you got to buy. Live from the Stamp Show here today, Infotainment Complex, this is the award-winning Stamp Show here today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. You can support this witless Tosh by joining the Stamp Show Here Today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. We are an APS-affiliated club. Listen to the end credits for information. This is Cash. And this is the former Dominus of Rome, Mark. This is the former philatelic analyst, formerly known as Sir Jim. This is Scott. This is Albert. <laughs> I just want to say, I've been gone for a few weeks, and while I was gone, they took away my knighthood. <laughs> that, yes, we did. <laughs> Brought you into the daylight. There. I'm back to just Sir Jim. I mean, just Mr. Jim. <laughs> so we have a little thing here on Mr. Samuel Allen Taylor who uh, is was a rather pro, was, he's dead, he's been dead for decades and decades and decades, uh, a philatelic forger. A lot of people will see a lot of Confederate Cinderella stamps, uh, ones for like blockade running in various states and things like that. A lot of these are uh, Taylor forgeries. And he also did several others, um, he did. Uh, he, did he do the uh, Hawaiian stamp? That's the Taylor forgery, right? There's uh, there's at least one Taylor forgery. The thirteen center, right? But right. he also but he also did some uh, some carriers and locals too. Oh, he did a whole he bunch. He did a whole of, lot of those. Yeah, those are they're actually famous because you for if you want something that's over a hundred years old in your collection, you can still buy SL and Taylor fakes for probably less than five dollars each. Well, actually, they've been going up because they're Ooh. quite popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking on eBay, and the the lowest price one is selling for is like fifteen bucks. Well, if you can, uh, there are a lot of counterfeit and fake stamps out there, but these older stamps where you can attribute them to a specific forger. I mean, we're talking not only Taylor, but Detween and Spirati, and I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. And if you can attribute it positively to that particular forger there are people who specifically collect those and they are definitely worth more than just your average run-of-the-mill fake random fake and if you see a blue two cent Kerr city post he put himself on the stamp he he used that as his uh his own vignette so uh Samuel Allen Taylor, do a quick so search. So he was not only a forger, he was a narcissist. Yeah, there you go. He wanted to be famous. I know he's mentioned in Reverend Airy's book, Album Weeds, quite extensively. Oh, no question about it, especially with all the Confederates that he faked and all the locals that he faked. I mean, faking locals, everybody kind of assumes that locals are fake. Not so much about the Confederates, because everybody, every city printed its own stamp so you know it sort of just fits in there is a book out there and i i'm, I'm at a loss to to name it or who wrote it 
but it is specifically about philatelic forgers. Yeah. Well, Vero Tyler did a series on Well, he did focus on forgeries, which focused on the stamps. I'm, I can't remember if he actually did one on the forgers themselves or if that was somebody else. I know Dr. Bierman spent, I know I spent some time in his house um, back in the 80s or 90s where he was having some philatelic get-togethers, and at least one get-together was a biography of philatelic, of philatelic fakers, a biography of the people, not the material, and I thought that was very interesting. That's why we're talking about it, because it's interesting. Yep. <laughs> so, Jim, you're back. Uh, what crossed your desk? Well like to talk i got a number 11a with a stitch watermark and it would it came in with the stitch watermark so i went to the catalog it is not listed under 11 or 11a but it used to be it used to be but in the 2022 2022 specialized catalog in the introduction on page 31a there is a brief description or definition of stitch watermark. A type of watermark consisting of a row of short parallel lines. This is caused by the stitches which join the ends of the band on which the paper pulp is first formed. Stitch watermarks have been found on a great many issues and many and may exist on all. So what this what happened is in the processing of uh, the paper uh, they used a. Um, well, we're we're not talking about the earliest papers, which were handmade, right? And one screen at a time. These are the machines. These ones. are the ones, the early machines, where they figured out a way to to uh, process it and do it as a continuous or or a much larger piece. And then some of the some of the things like the. The, the felt bed that they used to press the pulp against to get the water out of the pulp, you know, they, it was on a loop, and it, it rotated as the paper moved by. And, you know, I mean, you had to stitch the ends of that belt together, yeah. and that's what ends up showing up as your stitch watermark. Yeah, you see that in a lot of machines. So I went to oh, go to your supermarket and watch the conveyor go around right. at, at the checkout. Eventually, it'll come around. You'll Those see the, that row of stitches. So I went to the R.H. H. White book, The Papers and Gums of the United States Postage Stamps. And on page Ooh, 55. Huh? That's a page turner. Yeah, yeah. A snoozer. Anyway, it gives a definition. Any impression made upon the wet sheet as carried to or through the dandy roll cycle can be called a watermark. In the Williams text, they are referred to as quasi-watermarks. Stitch watermarks are placed in the same category. Hence, an impression made in the wet paper surface, whether by the forming wire or by the wove or laid wire cover on the dandy roll, or sufficient depth of sufficient depth to be seen in the watermarking area of the machine is a watermark. So then it refers us to the Williams book, and we happen to have one of those in our vast library also. We're, yeah. a, we're a non-profit stitch. library, basically. There you go. Yeah. One f uh, stitch watermark is so far as it constitutes a thinning of the paper unintentional and is not caused by bits. 
two reasons account for its appearance on paper. First, the join of the endless cloth of finely wove wire, which is what Scott was referring to, or in the finely woven covering of the perforated metal cylinder of the machine invented by John Dickerson. Okay. Who so also... No, 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 not the tube saw. <laughs> and there's a second one would be where they would repair the damage of wire cloths, but the uh, Williams books says that uh, they have never observed that and found one, although it's a possibility, I suppose. I've, so, I've seen what we call paper variances, but they generally don't look anything like stitches. Yeah. Well, what about laid paper? That's completely different, That's and that a, is covered under uh, another paragraph in the white book and I, in the uh, Williams book. So the, basically, um, the stitch watermark, although it's not listed anymore under the particular issues, um, can be found, especially on those early issues, um, and uh, uh, it is a watermark. I mean... Uh, a watermark well, normally is something... By the purest definition of watermark, it is, it is a watermark because when you dip it, it is a thin, thinning of, of the paper, paper that is visible when you put it in fluid. Right. And normally watermarks were applied... La the later types that we're familiar with are like anti-canterfeiting type of... Uh, well, it, it's also consistent because yes. it comes around every time that portion of or the, the roller, roller comes around. So, so the... the Watermark you, that are illustrated in, uh, on page 31 in the introduction also, the double line and the single line watermark, you can see is very consistent. But the stitch watermarks only show up uh, Well, they show up randomly. You, yeah. may have, you may have one on a sheet or you may not have one on a sheet, but uh, because as, as, those, as the paper came off of that, they were cut into sheets. So I guess the the big question is how would you value a stitch watermark on any stamp? I would say maybe a small premium of anywhere from around 10% maybe. Oh, no, 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 no. You think it's worth more? Oh, way more. A number 11 with a stitch watermark that's nice and clear uh, is easily a $20 stamp, whereas a normal one is, you know, a catalog's 15 but realistically it's like a $3 to $5 stamp. Yeah, and with the watermark, it's worth four times. If you're talking on on something else, they are they are kind of unusual. But but th the point is, um, uh, on a number eleven, you know there there are a number of people out there that, in my opinion, are a little crazy because that's what they collect is just number elevens. Yeah, we we know somebody <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I and see they one would every be day. willing to pay more for it. But your average collector. Yeah. I would say probably not so much because there's no it's first of all it's not in the catalog. Second of all when you buy an album which is what I would say at least half of the people are out there have they have some sort of album. There's no space for it separate from uh, you almost have to show it face that. down. Well, so you I'm, see the watermark. Well, I mean we don't show our Washington Franklin's face down just cuz they have different watermarks. So uh, but you should note it if you mount it separately in your in your book. But you know those are and but those are reasons why I would say that that the premium wouldn't be very much. Now on lower value stamp like an eleven, uh, it might be a higher percentage. 
whereas on a, a higher value stamp, it would be a lower percentage. Yeah. And, and again, because the demand isn't there. So it's the watermark is not listed in the catalog because it's not on purpose, right? Well, it's not only that, it's ubiquitous. Yeah, it's, not it's basically on almost every early issue. But wouldn't you also say that a joint line on a coil is also not on purpose? Yes, but that's more... It, it is more visual. But again, when you get a an album, you know, most beginner and intermediate albums only have space for single stamps. Advanced albums are going to have a space for a pair or a line pair, but not both. So line pairs, again, are optional, but they're also more visual from the front of the stamp, and so they're more in the realm of what people are aware of. It, it, I guess what it boils down to is the stitch watermark on these issues is not on every one of the stamps. Therefore, it is unusual. Um, oh, well, you get, it's like on one out of every maybe well, it's like on British thousand stamps. It's like on British Commonwealth stamps. Mm -hmm. You get paper maker watermarks. You know, when you when you go to the store and you, you can buy high quality writing paper, copy mm -hmm. paper, and you can hold up the light and you see the watermark. Well, the paper making watermarks existed on, on a lot of the paper that the British printers used to print their stamps. And occasionally you'll get paper makers watermarks on the edges of sheets that have other watermarks on it or that may have no watermark. And those are collected and they have a premium. Um, but the stitch watermark doesn't take any form other than just those little lines. And it, it just, I guess it's not as interesting and it's not as common. And so people just don't really care. So we're drawing attention to it so that people will care and they will be more desirable in the well, marketplace. Well, it's always good to look at your own stamps <laughs> to know what you have. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because I can remember seeing stitch watermark stamps offered in auctions. I can remember when they were in the catalog. But when I went to look at the catalog to find out what this um, catalog for or whatever, it wasn't in there. And so I had to dig a little deeper to still find references to it in the literature. I'm encouraged to know that the Scott Specialized Catalog, even though it doesn't list the watermark variety under each individual stamp, which probably would be difficult, uh, but it does explain it in the paper making process of the uh, introduction. And so. and with that, I will I will make a plug to remind people that at least every two or three years, at least, if not every year, you should read those front sections of the catalog. And you can obviously skim over the stuff that's repeated, but they do make updates and changes every single year to that information. And so it's a good idea to take a half an hour or 20 minutes or whatever and, and uh, look through that and read it if you haven't read it in a while and uh, understand a lot of the... Uh, uh, things that are talked about in there everything from paper making and grilling and gumming and uh, it, just a whole variety of things to help you understand not only the catalog but your stamps as well so that's that's my contribution today so mark what crossed your desk i had a couple of st louis bears 
across my desk. Oh my god! Did, uh, did you survive? Yeah. <laughs> run downhill, I hear. That's right. Yeah. What you're supposed to do. Only have to run it faster than the second slowest person. <laughs> um, yeah, the St. Louis Bear. It's a uh, it's a postmaster postmaster provisional uh, issued eighteen uh, forty five eighteen forty six. Um, and the stamps that I was looking at were 11X1 and 11X2, and um, these are these are sufficiently rare that you know that uh, that you're going to always see them with a certificate. Um, but this one, particular one I was looking at, didn't have a certificate. I researched uh, you know various uh, places, and I found where it was previously sold. The only time it was sold um, that I found was in 1964. Uh, it was sold for six hundred fifty dollars in a seagull sale. So uh, this uh, this particular St. Louis bear must have been just hibernating in this collection, <laughs> you know, for uh, for fifty years, and now it's now it's shown up, and and now they want a certificate on it. That stamp is on my uh, bucket list. It's probably uh, either going to auction or it's gone to a dealer, and they obviously they can't sell it without a certificate now. Yeah, you know, whereas in the 1960s you could, you can't now, and so it's in for a certificate. Yeah, but uh, but really cool, really cool to see that. So Albert, what crossed your desk? I think that I have something in front of me right now that uh, is owned by another person at the table a uh, a three cent Chicago Chicago perf oh. used on a used on a 1856 cover. But what was interesting was um, even though it's Damaged in the back, it has the it has the uh, embossed seal of a famous hotel in uh, Chicago called Tremont House, and the reason that it's famous for me is is that Tremont House also is um, was uh, one of the uh, advertisers on In Case Postage. Um, they're called uh, the one for Tremont House is called Gage Gage Brothers and Drake Tremont House Chicago, EP eighty eight through through 92, one cent through 12 cent. So the interesting thing about your stamp is is that even though it has Chicago purse, the, it's almost like a coil stamp because the person separated the, uh, the, the vertical margins with a scissor, not with the perforations. So the perforations are actually intact, but the actual, but because he wanted the full, full part of the stamp, he, it was separated with a pair of scissors. When uh, they first started perforating, now, the Chicago perforations were a, let's call it an experiment, although it really wasn't. Um, then later, when they actually started perforating and they created U.S. number 25 and 25A, when they first hit the market, people thought that the dots, the perforations, were a guide. They didn't know they were supposed to tear along it. They thought, oh, this is where they want you to cut. So in the early months of 1857, when they started perforating the stamps, you will often see scissor cuts following the perforations because they didn't know what the perforations were for. Now, later on, it, it took not very much time for people to realize, oh, you know, I can tear along plus they were perforated with such a small gauge that they sort of fell apart. <laughs> you know, finding blocks of four of number 25s are really tough. People realize you don't have to go find a pair of scissors to yeah. get the correct number of stamps you need. Oh, that's a thing that crossed my desk. I have another thing 
that I'll talk about, but um, a person bought a number 25 out of a block of four and wanted to know what it would grade. And I told him it would grade like, a, if you're lucky, you'll get a grade of 70 because you get a little, sort of like an eye appeal bump. But he goes, oh, is that all? And I go, yeah, these stamps are terrible. But the real killer of it was, it was a block of four, and the person broke up the block of four and sold it as four singles. And uh, blocks of four of number 25s, and really number 26s also. And 25As, there's only one known. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, it isn't a block anymore, but yeah, the market will do what the market will do. That is true. So, Scott, what crossed your desk? Well, I, in my opinion, I have the most interesting thing. I had hold, a, on, hold on, hold on. We're going to vote on that at the end. Okay. <laughs> okay. <everybody? laughs> okay. I had a, uh, a uh, special flight cover, and uh, it was for Amelia Earhart's solo transatlantic flight from Newfoundland to Ireland. And uh, in, in researching it, I found out that there were only 50 covers carried. They were all had this one cachet, and they were all numbered. And I'm not sure, but I believe they were all addressed to the same person back in, uh, and um, Amelia Earhart signed every single one of them. So that's a real signature? That is, a, that is an authentic signature. Oh. And this particular one, which is different from all of the other ones that I found, she added a handwritten note for and then the, another guy's name. So it was for a specific person, but it's in her handwriting and in the same ink as her signature. So I, I just thought this was really super cool. And... Uh, her her genuine signature runs anywhere from about two thousand to six thousand dollars, depending on what it's on. And uh, so, but I I just thought this was one of the cooler things that I've ever seen. I saw the same cover. I'm going to vote yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very very cool cover. I saw that cover. I I think it's genuine too. It looks good. Well, the hitch is is that you know we really aren't qualified to well certify autographs, but if every single cover has an autograph on it, yeah. then we can pretty well say yeah. Well, not only that, I went in and I looked. I I went to um, PSA DNA, and on their website they have various uh, examples of genuine signatures for Amelia Earhart. And uh, I also used a Google ser image search, and I looked for Amelia Earhart's signatures. And uh, so I'm looking at all these different things. And, you know, it's just like expertizing a stamp. You, you use references and you compare. Okay, is this the same? Is this the same? You know, how is the, you know, is the pressure even? Is it, you know, does it, do you have stops and, and hesitations where they're supposed to be and all of that? Are the letters shaped correctly? Are they, does it flow? Uh, you know, I can do a really good job. I'm not the expert on this stuff. But and we also have a VSC, which is made specifically yes. for this sort of authentication. Yes. And so I can be 
fairly certain that this is a genuine signature. And uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. But uh, by, inf- by far the, the coolest thing I've seen this week. Yep. Well, what crossed my desk is um, there is a new forgery that uh, is coming out of some, uh, I don't know, we used to say Canada. Now, can we say China now, or is that is that still for voting? I don't know. I can't say Sir Jim, so I'm going to pass. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, the, this is the U.S. flag with the word freedom underneath it. And the horizontal, the side-to-side perforations, uh, look normal. Uh, They're die-cut. But the vertical perforations going up and down... That appears to be a booklet pane. Yeah, it is a booklet pane. The image that you showed me. Yeah, it's a booklet pane. The perforations are incredibly irregular and incredibly poorly done. They range in size. Some of them look like almost like fangs. Other ones are blunted. So... Uh, when you see these, if the up and down perforations are not regular, like they would be on a normal stamp, you, you can thank uh, some Chinese printer for uh, supplying those to you. Did Which, you happen to notice if they were tagged? No, I, I didn't even bother looking for the tagging. Oh. It's just so obvious with the perforations. Do you have the actual item? No. Just the picture. I was going to ask... If you uh, um, watch anything on Instagram every once in a while, and I assume this is hitting all the different platforms, there's advertisements for discounted postage. Shadow deals is what I see all the time. Big discounts, you know, like 30% of face or something like that. And I thought to myself, PSC, our, our stamp show here today, we've put these guys out almost out of business because they're running these specials that are way below what they used to sell them for. Well, me, uh, we were sort of discussing this, and it could be that the U.S. Post Office is starting to slowly crack down. Britain has already cracked down. You know, various countries are cracking down at different speeds, and maybe they're seeing the writing on the wall that, you know, they got to liquidate their stock because eh, give it a little while and they won't be able to. Yeah, and... That just gives yeah. a lot more credit to the postal service than I wanted to give, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure it's I'm sure it's them, not me. But <laughs> one of the great fears in the in the uh, discount postage market is will the post office ever demonetize all the stamps that that are not tagged? Going back, there's a it's been talked about before a couple of times. Well, they're still issuing stamps that are not tagged. They're the lower value stamp, the lower face value stamps, the makeup rates and things like that are still being issued untagged. Yeah, but uh, more than one more than one person has felt. I mean, I, I've purchased um, postage hoards up to a, up to about two hundred thousand dollars face value in my lifetime, and most of the most of the reason that they had this is that they had their own business, and so they would buy they they would buy a pad of sheets from the post office and take a couple of sheets and put them in put them in the safe and not use them deliberately sometimes not deliberately other times but uh um i i wonder if at some point that the post office decides that the uh the older postage even though those lower values will someday become 
demonetized. They might, but I mean, if, I you, if you're doing that to to counter the counterfeiters, uh, that's not going to work because the new counterfeits, a lot of them are tagged. Yeah, yeah. This freedom stamp is it's still it's still brand new. It's still being sold in the post office. So what did they do? Did they just listen to listen to the podcast and hear that they weren't well, tagged? They figured it out. Uh, not everything that comes out is tagged, but uh, a, lo- a lot of it is starting to come out tagged. And I'm seeing stuff that that's coming out, and uh, where it came out untagged a year ago, now they're showing up with tagging, but they're still the counterfeits. So they're using the they're using the proper phosphors. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't tag. It does not look the same as a genuine stamp. But if you don't know what you're looking at, you don't know what you're looking at. Plus, you don't have to fool a person. You have to fool a computer, and the computer just sees tagging, sends the letter on. That is true. Anything else? Then happy collecting. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this silkon was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! (laughs) Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.